Uh, kia ora, good morning. My name is uh, Jeremy. If I haven't met you before, uh, welcome. Would you turn with me to the uh, book of 1 John? Book of 1 John. It's near the end of your Bibles. Go past Hebrews, keep going. It's near the book of Revelation. We're starting a, a new series that will run through our third term and will run into a fourth term. So in the last couple of years, we've uh, picked up a letter from the New Testament. We did a letter of Paul a couple of years ago. Last year, we did the letter from James. And this year, we're choosing another author. We're doing the book of First John. So we're going to work our way through it uh, slowly. There's some accompanying notes with it. If you, as a Bible study group, or you want to follow along, um, uh, accompanying each of the sermons, uh, there'll be a book. It should be out tomorrow um, with the first few that will have questions associated with each of the passages. But we're going to work our way slowly through this. And we've called the series Walking in the Light, which picks up a key verse in the first chapter of the book. Recently, there was a social media influencer. Who knows what social media influencer means? Okay, a few of you don't. It just means what it says. It is someone who uses social media to influence people, right? They may not have particular qualifications or anything in that regard, or perhaps anything useful to offer society, but they influence via social media. One of them, a lady by the name of Karen Marjorie, who has 1.8 million followers. Just think about that total for a moment. What's that, one and a half size, the, time, uh, the, the population of Auckland, was concerned that <clears throat> she was having difficulty connecting personally with her 1.8 million followers. That would be a concern, wouldn't it, right? You're a social media influencer, and she was concerned in regards to things like uh, loneliness that her followers slash friends were experiencing. So she got together with uh, an AI chat GPT company called Forever Voices. And Forever Voices is a company who you could go to and, and say, look, uh, it might be your father, your mother, whatever, you say, look, they're going to pass away in a wee while. I would like to, for them to kind of live on beyond the years. And so what they will do is over hundreds of hours of listening to their voice and answering questions during interviews, they will create an AI bot of your person. So after they've passed, you could contact them on your cell phone and have a conversation with your father or your mother, forever voices. So Karen, out of her benevolent heart, thought she could use this to help her friends and her followers. So they picked up her, uh, her hours and hours of YouTube videos and, and uh, did some other questions and things with it and created uh, what is known in the genre of companion chatbots. And because she is so altruistic and concerned for her followers, she thought she should put a minimal charge in regards to it, as you would. So she chose a dollar a minute. Oh my goodness. Right? So you're not going to ring her, Adele. Okay? All right? You're clearly not one of her followers who needs her influencing. 
Now just listen for a second. In her first week, she made week that seven days. She made seventy two thousand dollars. <throat> There's 120 hours of people picking it up and listening to their social media influencer. Now, there's a lot of places I can go right now, okay? And we're going to talk about um, AI and language learning models. We'll, we'll do that in at least one elective in the coming weeks. And I think there's a whole lot of things that are really interesting about what is personhood and, and what is reality and stuff like that. But I just want you to think in this space, because John in this letter wants to talk a lot about what reality is, what truth is, and what fellowship or community really is. What is it to have fellowship with God? What is it to have fellowship with others? And he describes it in a way that that fellowship brings us joy. Not happiness or pleasure in a worldly kind of way, but something that he refers to as joy. Here's what Karen said that drove her. She said, and it's called Karen AI as her companion chatbot. Karen AI is the first step in the right direction to cure loneliness. Men are told to suppress their emotions, hide their masculinity, and to not talk about issues they are having. I vow to fix this with Karen AI. I have worked with the world's leading psychologists to seamlessly add cognitive behavioral therapy and dialectic behavior therapy within chats. This will help undo trauma, rebuild physical and emotional confidence, and rebuild what has been taken away by the pandemic. As you can imagine, there's been a little bit of kickback from that. <laughs> One of them, a lady, a professor by the name of Irina Raisu from uh, Santa Clara University. She's in um, a Center for Applied Internet Ethics, which is an interesting um, thing. She said there's a whole lot of things that are problematic with them. She said these kinds of grand claims about a product's goodness can just mask the desire to monetize further the fact that people want to pretend to have a relationship with an influencer. And then she used this. I think this is a really interesting phrase. She said, these types of chatbots can add a second layer of unreality to parasocial relationships between influencers and fans, she noted. Did you hear that? A second layer of unreality. And what she's referring to is our initial one in regard, because remember when kind of all social media sort of stuff came out, th this whole you know, promise that it would cure loneliness and all these other things were associated with that first wave of it. And we now know that the, the evidence is completely overwhelmingly clear that it's actually destructive for us personally. It increases anxiety and mental health issues astronomically for one kind of level. It introduces difficulties in understanding what relationships really are, that is, flesh and blood relationships with real people in real spaces. We know that it is causing massive damage into these spaces. So, look, I'm not using this as a critique of the technology. What I want to do is segue into thinking, what is reality and what is real relationships and real fellowship about? So let's read uh, 1 John. We're going to read the first four verses today which give us an introduction, and uh, then we'll bring out some thoughts associated with it. By the way, uh, so uh, as you can guess, it's called First John. It, it doesn't reference John as the author in it, but church history and tradition 
has always um, said that John wrote this. John probably wrote this near the end of the first century, so it's one of the last bits of the Bible to be written, alongside his gospel, these three letters that we have, and also the book of Revelation. So John was given a lot of what we understand to be our New Testament, and a lot of understanding of what we know about the Christian faith that we have and experience today. So let's read the first four verses together. That which was from the beginning, right? Rochelle read John 1 this morning. He, he starting this letter off in a similar way to the gospel. They, they, in some ways, they read alongside each other. So he's referencing this idea of a beginning. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We have seen it and testify to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us and our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this. This is the first time he says we write this and he says it right through the letter. So take note as it's going down. But this is the first time he says this. He says this. We write this to make our joy complete. The first thing you'll notice in this text is he, he, he over and over there, he's, he's going about his personal seeing Jesus. And can you see all the words that he's using there? This, this kind of reads like um, a deposition at a legal hearing or something. Right, this is, this is a, a witness sort of testimony. That's the way that he's describing it and writing it down. So he goes, heard, seen, looked upon, touched, seen, seen, heard. Now, why is he doing this great emphasis on I have seen Jesus? All right? He only uses Jesus by the time he gets to what, verse 3. Um, in this first bit, he's just referring to him as the life. Why is he attesting to it? What, we, what, what they think is this, is by the beginning of the first century, there was a heresy, or a number of heresies actually, but came under the term of what we call Gnosticism these days. And Gnosticism had a number of different kind of elements to it, but, but one of the primary things was, it drew upon this idea that the body is evil and the spiritual or, or the experiential is good. And so if, if we're to think of this, then Jesus couldn't have been both God and man in the same person. That's not possible. So there was two main ways that they came to this. The first one was called docetism. And docetism was this idea that Jesus was never in a body. He was a ghost. He was something that appeared there. It was a likeness, but he was never really in a body. And the second one was separatism, separatism, and uh, that was the idea that Jesus, no, he did have a body, but as kind of God, the spirit, the good, only kind of came in and out of the body. It was never really fused as Christ, Jesus Christ, as God himself coming down and being a man. 
Now, both of those heresies have been rejected very correctly by the church over a prolonged period of time. But as it's sneaking into the church at an early stage there, and you'll, you'll notice that all the cults, all those who take Christianity and warp it, all start with the person of Jesus Christ. That's where they begin. And they go off kilter in one of two ways. Either he wasn't God or he wasn't man. He was some sort of created being. And so the first point that, that John is making in this is this is God manifest. The one who was there at the beginning of it all, and then he uses the term in there as well, the eternal one. He's forever existed in the past. He will ever exist in the future. There is no point in time in either direction where he did not exist because he is the divine. But he says this divine appeared. I saw him. I heard him. I touched him. He's real. He's real. He's real. And John's testimony is as important today. In some ways, it's even more important today than it's ever been. Jesus Christ is real, not just real and that he existed. The testimony that we have here from these apostles is to tell us about the person of Jesus Christ. So what he says, so we can know, we can know who this person Jesus is and the message that he was bringing to us. The other mistake that Gnosticism made and that what we would call Neo-Gnosticism makes today is this idea that, that Jesus Christ didn't come so much to fulfill some sort of big plan or sort of purpose associated with the, the crucifixion and resurrection was that he brought some sort of special teaching or some sort of special knowledge. It's kind of like a little life hack or special source that you can have that will miraculously make your life much better. And this is infecting our Christian, our Christian faith today. You will hear the name of Jesus used for all sorts of things. Just because you hear the name of Jesus used, do not assume that they are giving the message that Jesus gave. And we're going to talk about this as we go through here, because what I want to bring to you is this idea that this, this knowledge that we can have that gives us a firm foundation for who God is, who I am, the purpose of my life, all the things that give me a sense of assurance and security in my life come from a, a, a grounded in an objective truth that I can learn and that I can know. They don't come from some subjective experience or some special knowledge that somebody could give you. I can study and learn the scriptures and be given this message. I don't need some extra special life kind of hat. Now, what he does, though, is he goes, it, it's grounded in the subjective truth that we'll talk about in a second, but it flourishes, my assurance, it flourishes in an environment of obedience and results in community or fellowship. Now, I just want to think about this idea of community and fellowship and personal relationship. I'm going to use someone called Jonathan, because this is the sort of goal of what John is trying to do with it. He wants to... This is the goal that I want you to have, that there's joy and there's community, God and mankind, mankind together. He wants to restore it and bring it to something that it's never been before. But Jonathan Edwards had um, five reasons why he said, our relationships that we have, five reasons why loving relationships make us 
miserable. All right? What a, what a glorious title. But stay with me here is what he's kind of saying, and I hope you'll understand what he's meaning by this. The first one he says, and he's not just talking about what we would term terrible relationships. He's talking often about good relationships here. The first one is, there's, there's always a sense when we love that it's a little bit for our own sake, isn't it? You know, we, we love other people to a degree that they can give something back to me. Let's just be honest a little bit about that, right? It's very difficult to love a person properly for their own sake. I'm much more drawn to relationships that will give me something that will provide something for me in return. The second one, he says, is that relationships here without God, is we, we, we struggle to express our love well. <laughs> Right? We love to, somebody that we really care for and we really love about, he says, you know, we often just fall short in this ability to be able to express it in ways that we really kind of mean. And sometimes we express it and the intent is really good behind it, but the way that it's taken kind of by the other person, we've all, we've all been there in things that we've done and that we've said, right? The third one is um, we want to love mutually. So if I want to love somebody I want to know that that love is going to be returned. Now, this is difficult, isn't it? And it's often, I think, why we're cautious and often why we're quite superficial in our relationship is because we don't know, is that other person, does that person really care and love for me as much as I do for them? That's frightening for us. But there's another one that can be just about, just about as difficult, and that is, right, that... Um, I care for someone way more than they care for me. Have you ever had somebody that they, they care so much about and they're so poor and you're just like, you don't return the feelings the other way? Have you experienced that? Maybe? Okay. Right. So, so, so you can see what they're trying to do and you're actually not going to return the feelings so you're kind of pulling back a little bit. We want that mutual sense that sits there with it. This is an interesting one. That when you love somebody... There seems to be a need in you for them to be happy. Someone, uh, it's not exclusive to a parental relationship, but someone said it like this, that when you become a parent, you're only ever as happy as your most unhappy child. But you don't need to be a parent to understand that. You understand that, that you, 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 when you really love somebody, there's a need for them to have some sort of happiness in that space for you to have it. That's the whole mutuality that sits there with it. And then there's an ultimate one, isn't it? We don't ever want to say goodbye. You see, to, to, to die younger than maybe you would kind of like, there's a sadness associated with that. But there's also a sadness that if you live to a long age, you will see most of your friends, you will go to their funerals. We want love that will last forever. And so he's sitting in there, and what the point that Jonathan Edwards is making is not to make us all miserable about our human relationships. What he's trying to do is say this, you are designed, I am designed, we are designed to have a relationship ultimately that meets all of these. And it can't be met here. It can't be met here. It can't be met in our human relationships. And if we have a need within us that, that has a need that needs to be met and it can't be met here, 
then it indicates something, doesn't it? That ultimately we are made for a relationship that can meet all of those. There's one place that meets it. There's one place that meets it. It's the relationship that we have with our Savior, Jesus Christ. And so John here, what he says is, he says, uh, carries on in verse 3, he says, That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Now, John here is riffing off some stuff that Jesus said. So let's have a look at a couple of verses out of his gospel. In John 17, 13, it says this. This is Jesus in his high priestly prayer. He says this. I, Jesus, is coming to you, the Father, now. But I say these things, this is what he's teaching to the apostles, while I am still in the world, so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. Do you see what Jesus is saying? There's a joy that you can have, ultimately found relationally through, through fellowship with Jesus Christ, and Jesus is giving that joy to the, to the apostles. And then we see this um, uh, in John 15. He says, Jesus now says this to his apostles. He says, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. And many people have noticed the connection here with 1 John 1. You see it as well? And we, I think the we in verse 4 is referring to the apostles, we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. So Jesus is saying there's a, there's a fellowship and joy that sits within the Godhead, within the Trinity. This fellowship and community and joy he's giving to the apostles. The apostles pick this up as the message and the teaching of Jesus Christ. And John is writing to this to us in Cambridge 2,000 years later so that you may know it too. Fellowship with God and completeness of joy is available to you. How do you get it? How do you get it? In uh, in chapter 5, another time he writes this to talk about why he wrote this book. He says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. So here's the flow that I think John is saying here and that we're going to tease out in this book over the next few months. The first way that you can know this is that, that this is grounded in objective truth. And it's grounded in the objective truth of Jesus Christ's life. Jesus, who was part of the Trinity, who lived for eternity past, entered into our time and space as a person just like us. He lived a life that where he encountered suffering and temptation, just like us. But he never succumbed to that temptation. He lived a sinless life. 
So that when he went to die on the cross in my place for my sin, he is able to take the sacrifice that would conquer sin and death. Colossians 2 tells us that after he disarmed the powers and authorities, he triumphed over them at the cross. There's a universal triumphing over everything with what Jesus Christ did on the cross. But it's not just a universal thing that he did. It's personal. In my place. For my sin. But he didn't stay there to prove that what he had done on the cross was correct. He rose from the dead. And we're going to read this in in 1 John here in chapter 2, beginning of chapter 2. He says, not only is he one who has died for our sins in our place, but he's now an advocate who sits at the Father's right hand. So that if I slip up and I sin, I have an advocate who is saying, it's okay, he's with me. That's the grounding of the truth that we know. You can know this. You can believe this. You can sear it on your heart. There's the grounding. And then what John's going to teach us is this, is for that to grow and flourish, it has to grow and flourish in the environment of obedience. You live a life pursuing your own selfish pleasure, pursuing sin, going after your, the, the desires of the flesh and the things of this world. He said, that life isn't existing in you. It's, it's in the place of obedience where I take on and I believe and I follow. It doesn't mean that I never sin, but, it, but, but if I'm going to have that knowledge that grounds me somewhere, it has to flourish in an environment of obedience. And he says it pretty squarely to us. There'll be some verses in here that will make you feel uncomfortable, but they're meant to. They're meant to. They're meant because he wants me to know what fellowship and joy is. And I can't know it if I have sin stuck continuing to permeate my heart. He wants to deal with it and get it out of the way so that I may have this fellowship and joy that he is talking about. Let's return to his five May, Jonathan Edwards' five reasons. You see, when we think of Jesus' love for us, Jesus' love for us ultimately was for our sake. Yes, it's for his glory, but he does it for our sake. He expresses his love well. What, what does it say? Greater love can no man than a man lay down his life. It's the greatest display of love you can have. Jesus lays down his life for us. We want to love mutually. You can never love God more than he can love you. His love is eternal and infinite. When you love someone, you need for them to be happy. Joy is a characteristic of God, right? He is the most joyous being there is in the universe. And he wants us to know that joy. And we don't ever want to say goodbye. If you want to experience a life that will never end and a love that will never die then you need to know this and ground your life in the objective truth of the message that John is giving us and commit your life to a life of obedience. And there's a power that will come from that which will enable you to cope with any suffering that will come in your life. 
It will be a power that will enable you to resist temptations that come your way. But it's a power that ultimately will enable you to experience fellowship here on this earth and a joy that is beyond this world. C.S. Lewis says this, joy bursts out in our lives when we go about doing the good at hand and not trying to manipulate things to achieve joy. As I pray for our series, I just want to pray for us as a church. I want to pray that, that these words of John will infiltrate our hearts and our minds in deep places. That what he wrote this for 2,000 years ago will become our reality and our truth in our life. We live in a world of grey. <laughs> We live in a world of so much unreality and superficialness. And John's message is more important today when we have lost so much of what interpersonal relationships and community are. We've, we've bought into a lie about how we cure loneliness. And John's going to speak to us if we're prepared to listen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the reality and truth of the life of Jesus Christ. Thank you that this isn't some ancient story that has no meaning for us today, but it is the greatest truth that we can still know this day. That Jesus Christ, who has existed forever in the past and is God, came to this earth to experience what we experienced, but so that he could bring us back into fellowship with him and know the joy that is known by the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Father, would you help us to ground our lives in that truth? When lies come our way, would you overpower them with the truth of your word and your message that John is proclaiming to us? Would you help us to deal with sin in our lives and walk in the light of the truth of God? Would you help us in those spaces, Lord, because we need it. And ultimately, we thank you for this promise of fellowship and of joy. Would we pursue that in our lives in the right way that you call us to? We pray this over our community in Jesus' name. Amen.